As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Monday evening. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Hope everybody... Um, was able to spend time as they desired, and of course, uh, thoughts to go to all those who uh, paid the ultimate price for this country. Um, got a couple guests for you today on the show. We obviously are talking a lot about Sam Howell these days. I've got somebody here who might literally qualify as the uh, president of the Sam Howell fan club. He is former NFL quarterback Sean King, now host of a show on VEASAN, uh, uh, along with my guy, Tim Murray. Uh, Sean, I was on their show the other day, and Sean was really uh, emphatic about how much he believes in Sam Howe. So I thought, hey, let's have him come on here and talk to us about that. So I did that. It's a, it's a good conversation. And, of course, we talked about a couple other commanders things as well. Then the other day I spoke with, George Perry, professor at George Mason's School of Business. He's also a former Washington VP of Strategic Marketing uh, from a, a ways back in the Snyder era. But we discussed sort of if he were you know, advising Josh Harris, what would he do uh, with regards to all the various topics? Yes, including the renaming brand change. Would he, would he recommend that? What would he do, et cetera? Uh, so, a good conversation there as well, looking at the business side of things with the commanders. So we'll get to all that here in a moment on the Standard Groom Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting. Also, if you haven't already, check out The Athletic. Subscribe there. I'll have a new article early this week. Yes, it is insanely early to do a 53-player projection. And it's not really that, although I guess it's ultimately what I did. But basically, I, I was thinking to myself, when people are asking me, I, when I go on the radio, I talk to friends and family, whoever, hey, how did so-and-so look? What do you think about this guy? I, for me personally, I just think it's a bit early to, to stress anything, good good or bad. Everything would be feel somewhat generic for the most part. If somebody looked rough, then that would be a different story. But instead of going down that path, Again, we've only had one 
look at these guys. They had three days of practice last week. They'll have three days of OTA this week. We'll again be out there one day. So seeing some players twice in the six out of six sessions doesn't seem like enough for me to tell you what what they look like like with any sense of uh, you know definitive answer. That said, when it comes to the fifty three, I think it's interesting to look at it already. Not so much. I mean, yes, of course for the players, but also to look and see where there's going to be tough calls. There are a couple positions where right now already you can look at it and say somebody viable is probably not going to make this team. And we could have some some interesting players uh, on the bubble while simultaneously there's a couple spots where you're like, "Mm, I don't know what's going on there. You know, tight end, especially following uh, Armani Rogers uh, season ending injury, well, likely season ending injury uh, the other day. So you can check that out on The Athletic. For sure. Uh, of course. Oh, one other thing. I am uh, back on Twitter at Ben Standing is mine again. So if you're not already following me, please uh, do so. If you're on, if you're a Twitter kind of person. Um, all right. I, no, no big shenanigans here this week. If you, in terms of, of an intro, I don't have a, a ton to add. Uh, I'll get. As I said, we have a lot to discuss here on the show. If you missed last week, uh, I talked to Nikki Jabala from the Washington Post about what we saw out there on uh, in the OTAs last week and some broader topics regarding this team. Scott Jackson and I talked about Biennemi, uh, the trademark uh, question, and some Wizards stuff as well as they have a new uh, president of basketball operations. So let's just get to it uh, right now here on the Santa Group Only podcast. All right. All right. <clears throat> we'll, we'll do that again. Well, all, right. all right. Three, two. All right. As promised, uh, joining us here to talk about Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders quarterback situation is a guy who's played the position in the NFL, was uh, was the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the 1999 NFC Championship game, may have beaten a certain Washington team along the way to get there. He is now uh, one of the hosts on the VEASAN Network with my guy, Tim Murray, Sean King. Sean, I appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be on. Well, I mean, look, I'm excited to have you because the other day, I've, I've done your show a couple of times with you and Tim, who's been on here as well. And the other day, I came to realize when you guys had me on that you are not just like a believer in Sam Howe. You might be the guy that's like the, the president of the fan club. And I was like, okay, we have to talk about this. Is that a uh, somewhat fair, fair description of your... Uh, intrigue with Sam Howe? Yeah, absolutely. I actually had him rated as my number one quarterback uh, in the, his draft. I had him ahead of Pickett and Willis and Ritter and all those guys. And, you know, I, for some reason, he kind of got overlooked. If you go back to, I think it was towards the end of his sophomore year, I mean, he was gaining some momentum, some energy of being, you know, not just a first-round selection, but a high first-round selection. And, you know, North Carolina graduated a lot of talent. They lost a lot of their personnel. Uh, through graduation and draft, and, you know, the supporting cast wasn't as good, but production-wise, I mean, he still produced at a high level, you know, that next year at UNC. So it was kind of interesting to me, you know, uh, that he wasn't more highly thought of, you know, by scouts. You know, I talked to a lot of head coaches, a lot of OCs, a lot of GMs leading up to that draft, and, you know, I was yelling from the top of the mountains, man. Sam Howell is the best quarterback in this group, and obviously no one agreed with me because if I'm not mistaken, he was, what, the fifth? quarterback selected i mean he even went after matt corral 
which was just head scratching. So uh, not really sure why, but uh, it, luckily, uh, you know, for Washington Commander fans, I, I think you guys got a real steal. Well, that's the interesting part, right? If the guy if the guy that people saw in that sophomore year of his, which like you said, he was getting first round discussion at least at a minimum. He was highly productive that year at Carolina. But then, like you mentioned, they lost a lot of guys to the pros that year, including De'Ami Brown, who is, of course, his teammate here in Washington. And that's the question on some level, right? Is, is the guy, and then he sort of faded off a bit that next year. Is it, which version is it? The guy who had, you know, can play with talent, which he would have here, or the guy who, you know, just had to take a step back because he lost so much. What about that first year that you saw him play that made you kind of take notice of him? Well, well, here's what's interesting. You know, everybody, you know, makes this assumption that his final year at North Carolina, he fell off. But, you know, he threw for 3,056 yards, 24 touchdowns, and nine picks. So statistically, it wasn't the 38 he threw for as a freshman or the 30 as a sophomore, but the guys around him weren't as good, you know. So, you know, it's not like he had a, a pedestrian year. It just wasn't as spectacular as what we have been accustomed to. But I don't want to be repetitive, but the guys around him weren't that good. Drake May is kind of dealing with the same issue now, the current uh, Carolina quarterback. You know, he doesn't have the personnel to beat a Clemson, you know, to play against a Georgia and those kind of schools. So, you know, the thing for me with Sam was take away all of the things that you can see. It's the other stuff that really sold me on him, the grit, the desire, and a situation where guys were opting out, you know, when they didn't have a chance to win a conference championship. I mean, he's, he played, he battled with his guys. I mean, he's a lot more athletic than people give him credit for, you know, so he's going to create that dimension that the defense has to prepare for. He's extremely accurate, has a good arm. And, and I just, I, I think when I watch, I know what I'm looking for, Ben. I know what I'm looking at. He's got it. He's got it. Now, wh- whether the commanders are ready around him to really take off, I don't think at the end of this year, quarterback's going to be the issue. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be su- like, I, I'm i with you. I don't think I said this previously. I don't, I'm A, not, not a former quarterback. B, not studying the tape on all these guys the way you surely are. But to me of that class, other than Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell was the guy that I thought was the most interesting. And maybe that was because I was more familiar with him having watched a bunch of his games in college um, and to, to, to connect with your, with your visa and thing, you know, you might've been a wager or two thrown in there at some point. Who knows who could say who, you know, who knows. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, yeah, certainly interesting. And I think one thing that obviously hurt his draft stock was that entire class got pushed back, right? When the first quarterback goes 21st off the board, everything goes backwards. And, and, you know this. There's only so many teams in a given year who are going to spend a high draft pick on a quarterback. It's not a matter of – it's not like other positions because obviously you're only going to have the one guy play, and some teams may not need that. And if you have a more established quarterback, you don't even necessarily want to take uh, a quarterback that high unless you're just absolutely in love. So it kind of explains why he got pushed back a bit. Um, his size, that that seems to be one of the knocks. He's listed at six foot. We'll, we'll assume that's the height. How much? I mean, you were you're listed about six one, if I'm right. Is that a overstated issue in your regard in your mind? Well, of course you like him to be six four, but when you look around the league right now, I mean, Jalen Hurts, uh, Kyler Murray, um, 
Brock Purdy, who came in for San Francisco. Like, when you look at the younger quarterbacks in the NFL, not a lot of them are these huge, big guys. Bryce Young just went number one overall in this draft. Right. So you're getting a lot more guys that are around that six-foot mark that can play than you're getting guys that are 6'4 that can play. So I think at the end of the day, the talent supersedes the size. At least that's what, you know, I've come to to, to kind of fall in love with, you know. And, and let me say the difference when I evaluated Kenny Pickett and Sam Howell. Sam Howell played three years at North Carolina through 92 touchdown passes. Kenny Pickett played five years of college football. I mean, five years where he actually really played, and he threw 81. He had that one great year with Jordan Addison, the last one at Pitt, where he threw 42 touchdowns and seven picks, but all the rest of those years, 13 touchdowns, 13 touchdowns, 12, 11. So I'd rather take the guy and believe in the guy that's done it multiple years at a high level than the guy that I think is like a one-hit wonder. This isn't an attack on Kenny Pickett, but when I was doing my evaluations, this played into ultimately my, you know, uh, end evaluation that Sam Howell was the best one in that class because, I mean, he threw, what, 38, 30, and 24, I think, in his three years at uh, at UNC. So, I like guys that do it multiple years. I just think that says something, for one, about consistency, but also about how they handle success. Like, it's hard, you know, once you have the success, to keep the same work ethic, to see, keep the same commitment to detail. You know, when you aren't being elevated to the level you think you are, you got a chip on your shoulder, they call it. I mean, you're going to grind. Backs right. against the wall, like you're going to scratch and claw, but – you know, once you, you know, have reached what you thought was uh, a attainable goal, do you come back with the same vigor? And that's what I liked about Sam. And, you know, I, I know they just had, if I'm not mistaken, their first OTAs. If you ask those guys, they, they love Sam Howell. They're, they're going to go to war for Sam Howell because they know Sam Howell can go to war for them. Well, I do think, like, you know, when you when we look at Sam Howell, he's a got a bigger arm than Taylor Heineke. I think he actually runs more aggressively than Taylor Heineke did. Um, they're, you know, he's a little bit taller than Taylor Heineke, but that grit that you're talking about, I think that is something that is similar. And we saw this team rally behind Taylor Heineke because of that aspect. They were you know, willing, wanting to play for him and so on. So I do, I'm with you on that. Um, well, this brings, let me, them say, to- let, me let, let me say this, man, man yeah. and this is an attack on Taylor. This is an attack on Ron Rivera. But I did think Ron Rivera and his staff mismanaged the quarterback position last year. Uh, in 2000, 21, you had a full year of Taylor Heineke. And based on all of that information, you decided you needed to go out and acquire Carson Wentz. So when Carson Wentz gets hurt in 22, why would you go back to Taylor Heineke? Why not go straight to Sam Howell and give Sam Howell that, what, eight, nine game stretch to gain experience? And you've got even a more prepared quarterback coming into this year one that only has one start that's still relatively inexperienced. I think it's a great point. I think one of the issues from the Rivera side, this is my view of it, is that they are a fairly conservative group, and I don't think they're the type that says we need to plan for the future. They're focused more on how do we win this next game, and obviously Taylor Heineke, you just mentioned the experience, at a minimum has way more experience than Howe, and I think they leaned into that, which – by the way, makes the decision this year to state that Sam Howell is going to be the leader, go to be QB1, the leader for that race going into this, is so weird to a lot of us because it does feel like Ron Rivera, I don't want to say the hot seat, but 
there's a new ownership coming in. They haven't had a winning record yet since Rivera's been here. You would think you'd want to go with somebody who is can help you win now. And yet they're going with a guy with one career start who, like you said, they didn't look to use last year when Carson Wentz was out. I think that so, makes us so confusing because I'm with you on, on what you said about last year. But then why do you do what you did last year and then this year going this other way? Because I don't think, if you look at Rivera's history, he's been great at managing that position. I don't think it's an area that he's an expert at. He's a defensive guy. And because, as you mentioned, he is conservative. Maybe the offensive aspect, you know, on the staff is a little hesitant, you know, to to voice. But it, you basically just wasted a season. You didn't make the playoffs. You didn't re-sign Taylor Heineke. And you didn't get a lot of game experience for Sam Howell. So if you talk about mismanaging the quarterback position, I mean, that should be like example A. So and the only reason I bring that up is because the same people who mismanaged it last year are in place except for Eric Bieniemy. You got a new coordinator. It seems like, you know, Rivera's going to allow, you know, EB to kind of run that side of the ball and do his thing. So hopefully that works because and the only reason I bring this up is because with every young quarterback, they're going to be ebbs and flows. They're going to be ups and downs especially when there isn't stability around him. You know, Washington is a team that still has a lot of guys that are trying to establish themselves. I know McLaurin has gotten paid, but he still wants to be considered in the Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase echelon. You know, Jahan Dotson going into year two, you know, he's like, I got to put up numbers. You know, I got to get one year closer to getting, you know, this big. Used him at Memphis. You know, we played slot, you know, got him in mismatch situations, especially because I think they have a deficiency at tight end. Yeah, they definitely have issues at tight end. They just lost Armani Rogers, of course, the other day, and it was already a questionable position uh, for for sure. So let me ask you about the enemy then. I mean, you've been around this league. Often if we say, hey, you're taking the offensive coordinator from Team X, here's how mm-hmm. this translates to this new team. Except that, one, the belief is that Andy Reid was – predominantly calling the offense. Thus, we don't even quite know what an Eric Bieniemy called offense would look like. And two, the quarterback he had is Patrick Mahomes, who is on a track to be one of the five best quarterbacks in the history of the league. And you can't really compare Sam Howell to that. So how do you look at what Bieniemy had at Kansas City, how that may translate here, both in terms of Sam Howell and just the offense in general? Well, that's interesting because uh, everybody uh, sees – Patrick Mahomes as this, you know, transcendent unicorn-like quarterback. I'm pulling it up right here, the uh, 2017 draft. So I wanted to make sure that I was accurate. Let me see here. I was trying to remember exactly where uh, Patrick went. I think he went 10 and Deshaun Watson was 12. And, of course, that was the year Trubisky went second. Right. Right. So that, that was that was who I was thinking of, Mitch Trubisky. So, I mean, obviously the Chicago Bears evaluation department, you know, saw something in Trubisky. They didn't see him at home. Yeah. <laughs> and I just said it to say it's a, as much as it's about talent, it's about fit. If Patrick Mahomes had went to Chicago, does he ever become Patrick Mahomes? Matt Nakey and that regime capable of – allowing the things that he does that would drive a quarterback coach crazy. Because fundamentally, Patrick Mahomes is really bad. He just has a once-in-a-lifetime once talent, so he gets away with it. 
but like he could have went somewhere where they didn't allow him to throw the ball sidearm and you know come up with these creative you know underhand you know swing plays to Kelsey and you know maybe he doesn't become Mahomes. So fit, fit, fit matters a lot. That's why I like the fact that Eric was under Andy Reid because Andy's won with Donovan McNabb, he's won with Alex Smith, he's won with like he's won with Patrick Mahomes like. They were one offense with Tyreek Hill, and they were another offense without Tyreek Hill. He won a championship, you know, in both situations. So Eric is coming from a great environment, you know, one that doesn't necessarily have a system, but what it does is it adapts schemes to that year's personnel. And I think that's very, very important. And uh, I think this is a great opportunity for Bienemy. Um, He's excited. He's fired up about it. I mean, they have some good pieces there in Washington. Well, we'll see. Um, so let me ask you this one last question on uh, how the enemy and so on. We talked about the idea that last year they didn't give how this experience when maybe they should have. So now you look at this year. Forget Ron Rivera for a minute in terms of like, you know, he's had a long career already as a head coach. If this is his last year, I'm not saying it will be, but if it were be, okay. He'll figure out whatever he needs to do next in life. But for Eric Bieniemy, this may be his one chance to show that he can lead an offense, thus giving owners or others around the league to say, maybe we should reconsider hiring him. But now he's looking at Sam Howe, a quarterback with one career start, or Jacoby Brissett, who is, you know, not one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league, but he's played. You you know what he, you know, you know what he's capable of. You know he's a veteran who won't get there won't, there won't probably be as many ups and downs. Do you think the enemy is ultimately going to stay with the idea of Sam Howe, the inexperienced guy, knowing the importance of this year? Or do you think there's a chance where Brissett becomes more and more attractive because it's a little, you know, it, it's going to be a little more stable? <clears throat> no, I know Eric, like I do, he's going to play the best player. And uh, no offense to Jacoby Brissett, but I, I think Sam Howe is a, a better player or is going to be a better player than Jacoby. So, but Jacoby's a good backup, you know. Um, he's, like you said, he's got a lot of experience. Uh, he's, he's been around the league. He's seen a lot of different things. He's going to be the consummate pro. You know, he's got the right mentality in that he's not one of the – he's not Carson Wentz. Like, Carson Wentz is out to prove that, you know, he was deserving of – where did he go? One? Was he the first pick to Philly? He was the second pick behind Jared Goff. Second. You, you, everything about Carson says he's still trying to prove to people he was worth being the second pick. Jacoby's a guy, hey man, I'm gonna keep cashing these checks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help develop and support the young player. You know, if I gotta play, I'm gonna go win. I'm gonna do my best. You know, but and that's the kind of vet you need when you have a young quarterback. You need one that's organically willing to really help this young man succeed. You know, Carson is caught up in Carson. You know, it's the reason that he hadn't signed with a team because he still views himself as a top-level starting quarterback. So he doesn't want to go anywhere and be a backup and, and those kind of things. So much healthier room. You know, a guy like Taylor Heineke, uh, I don't know him personally, but he was in that mode where he's trying to get paid. And he knows the only way he can get paid is by playing. So I, I think this will be a much healthier quarterback room than the one Sam was in last year. Okay. And just lastly, uh, you know, obviously you guys uh, on VEASAN, again, you're the uh... – co-host of the Vison Prime Time Show, 6 to 9 Eastern with uh, Tim Murray. The, the over-under for the Washington Commanders this year is what? Six and a half is what I thought I, I thought I saw last? Yeah, it's six and a half. Yeah. So 
obviously quarterback goes into a lot of that, I imagine, right? I mean, Sam Howe, when you rank the quarterbacks in the league, is not going to be very high on any list, right or wrong. That's just the way the perception is going to be. But they've got a top 10 defense off of last year. They do have a lot of offensive playmakers. They added uh, Emmanuel Forbes and uh, Quan Martin to the secondary. And, of course, they added Eric Bieniemy. You put all that together and you look at that six and a half number and think what? I would think over, and I would think it has an opportunity to go way over if we get best we've ever seen in a contract year, Chase Young. Because when you look at that line, that, that defensive line, Payne and Allen legit on the inside, you know, sweats rock solid. But Chase is the one that can make the line special. So if he's motivated, uh, I thought it was a great decision by Washington not to pick up his option. You know, you get a guy like that that has kind of, not been available due to injury, you know, what 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 better motivation than if I have a big year, I get a big bag, you know? So if he ends up with double-digit sacks and the guy they got to account for and, and all the pass protection, then I think Washington has a chance to, to really, really be good. I think offensively they'll be fine. Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, Andy Reid is a very aggressive head coach. You know, he's a guy that goes for it on fourth down a lot, you know, goes for two early in games. Like, he does little things that haven't really been a part of Ron Rivera's resume so far. So it'll be interesting how much leeway he gives Eric, how aggressive Eric can be, you know, third and forward. Is he comfortable knowing that if it's fourth and one, we're going for it? You know, it impacts your play calls, you know. Um, so we'll see. I, I think the, the the core is there. You know, now, if Logan Thomas is able to ever – I think what he's got, uh, one full season – in his nine years, I think he's played 16 or more games once. So, you know, he's just one of those guys, you know, who's making the quarterbacks look bad because he can't stay healthy. You know, Logan <laughs> was a quarterback initially. Tell him I said that. Uh, <laughs> so that is a huge void if he's not available, you know, not having, you know, that middle of the field threat. But, you know, hey, I, I right now I'd probably say nine and eight, ten and seven would be the range I'll be looking at. All right. Well, that's a pretty optimistic view. And obviously you're, you're a guy that believes in Sam Howe and the, clearly the Vegas people, uh, the odds makers do not. So that's definitely uh, a, a difference between you guys. Hey, Sean, I really appreciate it. Um, go follow Sean on Twitter at real Sean King. That's Sean with a U. And again, go listen to him and Tim Murray on VEASAN live primetime, six to nine Eastern time. They do a great job talking about the sports through the lens of gambling. Uh, Sean, I appreciate it again. Thanks so much. Okay, man. Thank you, man. Have a great day. All right. We obviously talk a lot about the different angles of the commanders, and we want to look a little forward here. We'll, we'll, we'll presume the Josh Harris bid uh, or purchase eventually gets approved. So what happens at that point? What are the Josh? What's the Josh Harris group need to consider? And to help us dive into that, we have professor at George Mason University, George Perry. He is uh at the school's school of business. He was also a former strate- VP of strategic marketing for this organization. George, I appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So you are, uh, I mean, you know, the, all kinds of former uh, Washington franchise people at, at George Mason. You got you, you got Daryl green. That's like, you know, it's like the Mount Rushmore. You had Brad Edwards, but he left. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a different area though. Those guys, uh, those guys were way better athletes than I was, but uh but uh, so my background, obviously, is on the business side. 
Yeah. So b- before we get into the future, I just for some background, t- you, like what was kind of your your role? I, I, and and when when were you there? And what was kind of your your role for the organization? Yeah, I was there um, back in two two thousand seven to about two thousand nine. Literally about a week before Sean Taylor uh, uh, passed, um, which was an interesting start. Um, and I was yeah hired to be VP of Strategic Marketing. Uh, which turned out to really be uh, supporting the the sponsorship sales team and developing marketing programs that they could then go out and sell to the sponsors and kind of bring in additional revenue from the sponsorship side of things. Um, and then, you know, before that and after that, I had about a 20 plus year career in sports market marketing, working for brands like Starter, Visa, Rosetta Stone, things like that. So you were there like, was, was that like the last year of Gibbs and then the start of Zorn? Uh, uh, yeah, I got a, I think I got a season. Of, I got the end of Gibbs and a season of Zorn. Absolutely. That is the, you know, <laughs> w- w- considering Zorn's last name starts with a Z, it is sort of the A to Z of like, well, I don't know if that's actually right there, but it's the high and the low, the hall of fame coach versus a guy that, uh, didn't, didn't quite work out for him. We'll just say. Yeah. It was an interesting choice. <laughs> like a nice guy, but it was, it was, a it was an interesting choice for sure. So when, when you're dealing with, with some of that, does the, does the, how much does the football side matter to what you are trying to trying to accomplish in that role or whoever has that role now with the organization. I mean, obviously winning is a much easier thing to sell, but in terms of the players, the coaches, the, the, the mood, how, how much does that stuff matter to what uh, you were trying to do in, in that role? Well, you're absolutely right. Right. If, if, if the team wins, all of our jobs as marketers in the organization get a lot easier sales and marketing. Um, but the, the the best sales and marketers of any uh, professional team organization are those that can build uh, an environment, uh, a culture uh, around kind of the, the experience of being a fan of that team. Um, and so that's why we're always looking. We should not be going into any season counting on winning. We should go into a season and pitch the idea that you can be part of this community, uh, that you can support uh, this team. Uh, and they're going to be out there supporting the community as well. Um, now, it's great if you have player and coaches support. Uh, clearly, fans love it when when they're involved in the community. Um, they're out there signing autographs and and kind of open uh, the coaches whenever we could get them to do uh, talks or, or to speaking engagements and things like that. That's always helpful. But it really kind of depends on the culture of the organization. If that's something that's brought in, bought in by the ownership and kind of directed, hey. We need you guys not only to be, you know, great on the field, but particularly in some of the off season or some of the days off, we need you to be out there and be a part of the community because that's what's going to bring our fans in and and make them feel and support you whether you win or lose. That's the ultimate goal, right? You want to be, I mean, the Green Bay Packers have won for a while, but people forget there was many years that they didn't win and they still sold out. Same with the Chiefs uh, because they had that community and the fans were willing to, to, to support them no matter no matter what happened. And obviously that was a deal here for years uh, until things have gone awry with this uh, ownership group, which obviously uh, looks like they will be on their way out. Now, when at that point, I'm just trying to think about it then versus now. At that point, whatever criticisms there were of Dan Snyder, et cetera, was more, I think, of the traditional football type. He's, you know, involving himself too much in player decisions, that they were spending a lot of money, especially at the beginning of older players who weren't you know their production didn't match the the payday and things like that or college coaches that weren't ready for the pros (laughs) right exactly (laughs) um 
then of course it's just gotten it's d- deteriorated over time and i'm sure you to some degree and maybe you've talked i don't know if you talk about this in your class or not but thinking about how you would do your job in the in the culture in the in the climate that they've been facing for the last not even the last two or three years because i imagine this has just got to be off the charts when you're getting investigated by congress that can't really be uh much for a marketer to, to work with but just over the last even you know five six seven years or so how how challenging as you view it, do you, you think, wow, that that is that, that is even more, you know, m- much more harder than it was, wow, when, when you were there? Yeah, I think um, I think it would have been tremendously challenging. It was challenging enough even when I was there, not so much because of all the external noise, but but even the internal noise. It just wasn't uh, it wasn't a culture that um, you where you felt kind of supported uh, as an employee, um, and it certainly wasn't a culture where you felt like um, ownership was making the fans the number one priority. Um, they were definitely interested in winning, which is why, you know, they spent a lot of money on players and coaches and things like that. Um, but so when you're a marketer and you're trying to build a kid's club, uh, and you're getting pushback, you're trying to, to get women, you know, uh, involved in, in being fans and doing marketing programs around that, and you're getting pushed back, um, it makes it difficult. Add on to that now, you know, all of this external noise with the investigations and things like that. I, I, yeah, I don't know how it would have been possible to even work in that organization. Um, you know, clearly uh, some people did view, view any job, clearly any job that's in the professional for a professional NFL team is a plum job, right? It's a job that it's a dream job. It's if you're in the sports industry, that's, you know, you want to move from minor leagues all the way to the pros. So it would be hard to walk away from that for sure. Um, and especially if you have other responsibilities and so on and so forth. So you just kind of do the best you can and you try to block that noise out as much as you can and focus on whatever good things there are. Um, focus on the fact that this is still an NFL team and they're playing, you know, really good NFL teams from other cities, you know, so maybe you're not that you're going to market that, but you know that you still have a really good product that people want to come see. And so that's when they start, you know, doing ticket promotions and, and, and trying to find other ways to engage the fans um, and kind of let all of that other stuff take care of itself. But it would be, it would have been a very difficult environment. Um, They definitely were earning their money. So I can, I can imagine it was tough. For sure. And 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 we're going to get to Josh Harris and what this new group may deal with in a sec, but just, I guess, sort of lastly, looking back, Mm-hmm. To what degree was Dan Snyder or any owner involved in what you were trying to accomplish? I'm sure there has to be some higher level meetings of broader topics and and maybe not involved in the granular details. But how much does an owner get involved in maybe specifically how much was Dan Snyder involved? I think it probably differs from owner to owner, right? And you can have this argument all day long, which which type of ownership is 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 better or more successful a kind of a macro owner who stays out of everything and just hires people to run his business versus owners that say hey I've spent you know 870 million dollars now 6 billion dollars I'm going to I'm going to be a part of this because this is what I this is my money so um he was interested I believe he was very involved in the business but only with let's put it this way nothing hardly anything happened without his approval when I was there 10 years ago now I've heard that that he kind of moved away from that a little bit over the last five years ago. Um, but but nothing happened without his approval. But it wasn't like he was mixing with all of the employees in the building. He had four or five, let's call them lieutenants, 
that he would meet with and that he would talk with. And if I put together a strategy, I had to turn around and give that to my CMO who then would be able to, would meet with, with, with Mr. Schneider. So, um, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't involved in the day to day, you know, going to meetings and things like that, but you knew clearly that nothing happened without, without his final approval. Um, and I would almost think on some level, like when you talk about the hands-on versus hands-off owners, on the football side, I think clearly often fans are like, please stay away. And it honestly makes sense because these people typically are coming from the business world or some other world that's not football. And therefore, you know, their expertise in that area is, is going to be minimal. Whereas if they're coming from some business side, obviously he, Dan Snyder had his own business and you picked any owner. They obviously made their money from somewhere that they would have more uh, thoughts perhaps about, uh, the, the you know with the marketing or just other components of the business side um and i think that's all going to be interesting to see what happens here with josh harris because not only is he already an experienced sports owner mm -hmm. but he obviously you know made his billions uh with with with, with his own uh you know with his own firm uh asset management and and, and the like um i don't know if you have any insight into into josh harris specifically but what's uh what what ba just based on that general profile? What's your what's your kind of sense of of how things might run whenever his group takes over? Um, I agree with you. I think uh, you know one of the the challenges for um, Dan Snyder was that well he was a, a successful businessman and by all accounts if you bought something for eight hundred seventy million and you're selling it for six billion he's still a successful businessman. Um, but um, but he had no sports experience. He was, he was no different than a fan being a fan himself for many years. Um, and, and a lot of owners, it, it, this is more of a, you know, becomes more of a hobby, more of a hobby or, or nice to have. Um, so while he was able to make a lot of money, he, there are, all, there are all sorts of other things that, that come, come about when you're CEO, which is basically what he is. And that is, you know, all of your other stakeholders that are out there. How do you how do you interact with the fans, which are customers, and they're different than your traditional customers, right? They've got more passion, they've got more uh, knowledge, uh, or at least they think they do. Um, uh, how do you take care of your employees? Uh, how do you accept the responsibility of the, the fact that you are part of the community? You are a, a vital part of the community, right? Communities rally around. The Capitals when they win, you know, a Stanley Cup championship, the Nationals when they win a World Series and the Redskins slash Commanders now when they win a Super Bowl. And and those were all missing pieces of the puzzle, I think, that that for whatever reason, uh, they never figured out. You're absolutely right. Uh, Josh Harris has great experience already, you know, with with uh, and uh, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, Josh Harris ha already has a uh, great experience with, um, you know, two teams, the New Jersey Devils and, uh, and the Sixers. Um, and he's also been a very successful businessman. So I absolutely, uh, and, and it also appears, and we'll see when we see the final list of owners, um, you know, there's like 17 of them now, uh, but, but he's going to, he's also going to put good people around him. Right. I mean, Magic Johnson, most, you know, a lot of us know him as a, as a, as a basketball player, a great basketball player, but he's been an extremely successful businessman um, over the last 20 years. Um, and his other partner, uh, the DC based partner, his name slipped in my mind. Mitchell Rails. Yeah. Mitchell rail is, has had success at business. So I think, and, and listen, I know that Snyder had um, some minority partners as well that, you know, FedEx, et cetera. So there were some successful people, but, but I think 
that that they they're going to have to they're going to figure out you know who's going to kind of be involved in some of the business aspects of the business and bring some really good experience uh, to the table, um, and then you know hopefully um, have have the ability to think about again all of those stakeholders, whether it be the employees and the community and the, and uh, and and of course the shareholders as well as 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 the fans. All right. Well, and speaking of that, I want to ask you like uh, uh, three specific topics that are going to come up. Obviously, whenever there's a new change, you mentioned the fans. I wrote a story. I guess it was last month when the first part of this agreement in principle happened, and it was about what are the priorities for the Josh Harris group. And some of them were, of course, you know, football kind of related. But for me, the number one was you've got to figure out a way to reengage the fan base. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think people think that the fan base has been angry for the last few years. No. Angry would at least show emotion. They've been apathetic and not caring. And that's the worst place you can be. Now, obviously, there will be once the keys are officially handed off, there already is some, but once the keys are officially handed over to Harris's side, assuming again that that goes through, I, I feel like I have to keep prefacing that because every day there's another story. We'll see. But assuming that goes down, you, you've got to get these people back on board, obviously to buy tickets and buy merchandise, but just to feel good about the thing i don't know if you think that would be the top priority but if so or even if regardless what's what's that thing you would advise when it comes to getting people re-engaged no i agree as i was making notes for this for this interview i I, the first thing i put in big letters win back the fans um and you that's got to be a primary focus there's no question and um and I, you know, there is going to be a honeymoon period. There are going to be people that have just been waiting for this day to happen. Never thought it would happen. Um, people, you know, like myself, right, who were big fans uh, back in the day and kind of drifted away for a number of reasons and uh, are ready to jump on no matter what. That said, you can jump on and be a fan, but if nothing changes, if nothing gets better, then you're going to go back to whatever you decided your second alternative was, right? So. Uh, we need to they need to make sure that the the, the, the game day experience um, is upgraded dramatically, even though FedEx Field is likely to just be kind of a temporary three to five year uh, venue until they can get a new stadium. Um, but you can't say, well, we're just going to wait for the new stadium. You've got to figure out, OK, how do we make that experience from from the time people leave their house um, to, you know, if they're taking the metro, let's let's have a shuttle. Haven't had a shuttle for a while uh, from the metro to the stadium. How do we improve the parking experience in and out of the stadium? How do we improve the improve the in-game experience? How do we make sure that you know toilets aren't leaking and fences aren't you know railings aren't falling and things like that? I mean, basic stuff, um, but also a lot of the interactive part and 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 so um, and then and then but remember, not everybody can go or goes to a game. So how do you reach out to those fans in this very large community? How do you get uh, the ownership group to be a little bit more accessible to the media, for example? How do you get uh, players and coaches in the communities out and about so people can start meeting to them and talk to them? And then you just got to you got to clearly show that you have a plan. Right. Here's our here's our three to five year plan. Here's what we're going to do with regards to a new stadium. Here's what we're doing now with regards to improving the fan experience. Uh, Here's what we're going to do to be, you know, better uh, uh, corporate, you know, community citizens and and, uh, to help and be a part of this community. Uh, and here's here's our plan to get better as a team. Um, and so, you know, those are all things uh, that they're going to need to address and just demonstrate that that they're serious about this, that this wasn't just something that they're purchasing and hoping to you know resell in however many years. 
that they really want to see this franchise be successful and the fans and the employees uh, and the community are all a part of that. You mentioned, of course, uh, having the owner talk to the media a bit more. I mean, of course, that's going to be music to a reporter's ears. Mm-hmm. I've never talked to Dan Snyder uh, mm-hmm. in the time. I mean, I haven't covered the team for the whole entirety of his of his run, but I've never talked to him. And, you know, look, obviously, he wouldn't have much of a story to sell. But if you don't talk, I, you let other people uh, write your narrative. And obviously, in his case, there's plenty for people it's a right it's you know but i mean just in general like if you i used to tell this to other when i would cover other teams i'm like if you guys don't talk to me it's not like nobody's gonna just talk about you and you got to be able to do that so i think he doesn't have to be jerry jones josh harris but he needs to be especially in the beginning available and to to some degree and obviously this is we're having a magic johnson um potentially would be a huge deal um as well yeah i i agree he's obviously at some point going to have spokespeople that will do the the majority of the talk and for the franchise but but yeah there's 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 times right there's special announcements there's special times when it makes sense for the owner uh to be available and to at least show that he's got a plan and that he's that he's that that, and and to share that with everybody else and then obviously (laughs) Three teams, if he keeps running all three teams, he's got a lot, a lot on his plate. So he's yeah. going to have to turn a lot of that over to other people. But yeah, accessibility is is huge, particularly in sports, because fans expect that. Um, you mentioned the stadium. Uh, I had a story up today on uh, Thursday. I, I uh, talked to people all over, across the region and, uh, involving all the jurisdictions, even the federal government, to get a feel for where things stand with each place. And that 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 chase will kick off, will, will, will ramp up once uh the deal is done but it is already starting to to happen you mentioned though the idea that fedex field will be the temporary place for a bit you know we don't know at this point when they're going to get a new stadium Mm -hmm. so in the context and like it it could be even beyond this decade the rest of this decade so in the context of that it seems like there's some signs that the josh harris group may be smartly willing to put some money into that stadium but is that how much of that is an extra challenge people can't stand the stadium Mm-hmm. And it, it, again, it's not like it's it, it, if it goes for another seven years, eight years, that could be a long time. Is there something? I mean, you've obviously been there. Is there something specific that you would say, hey, this is what you need to invest in? This is what you need to do. You, you mentioned some of the, the, the Jalen Hurts rails and things like that. But I mean, like mm-hmm. in terms of the, the fan enthusiasm aspect, are there things at the stadium that you would say, I think this is where we need to prioritize for as long as we're going to be here, this needs to be as good as it can be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, there's all sorts of things you can do. And, and, and then there's others that may or may not be in their control. Right. So clearly one of the biggest reasons people don't enjoy it going there is the traffic in and out. And, you know, I don't know if there's anything they can do with with the county there to kind of improve the the flow and in and out of the stadium, whether they can work with the NFL on you know times of games. I guess you know Sunday afternoon shouldn't be too bad, but um, you know, at one o'clock. Um, so that that's you know, that's part of it, right? Um, certainly they control, you know, from the time you get off the beltway into, you know, into the parking area. So uh, there's got to be ways to improve that process. I think uh, a bigger issue is, um, I, I alluded to this earlier, and I was there when this happened, uh, when when the stadium uh, first start, when they first got the stadium together, uh, Prince George's County was uh, paying for shuttles from the Metro to the stadium. Yeah. And um, and at one point their budget took a hit and they decided to, to pull those shuttles. 
And we all thought, okay, well, we're going to have to go find a shuttle company and we'll just have to pay for shuttles. And, you know, what we were told was, let's find a shuttle company that will do it for free and they can be a sponsor. And, you know, we tried and nobody was interested. And so instead of paying for shuttles, uh, you know, people have to walk a mile to and from the stadium down a hill and up a hill and, you know, across people's yards. And um, that's just a, you know, a minor, it sounds like a minor thing, but it's amazing how, what a big difference that can make, right? People come from the stadium and they're like, okay, I, I had a, it wasn't too bad getting in and out. Then you talk about the pregame experience, right? Are there things they can do in the parking lot, right? To, to uh, uh, increase the, the tailgating experience to whether it's music or, or other types of things or food and, and concession options, who knows? Um, and so then, you know, making that whole pregame experience, and that can also be something that helps alleviate some of the traffic. If it's a really good experience after the game, for example, you can have post-game concerts to, to keep people in the stadium while half the people are leaving and half the people stay. And then when you get in the stadium, I mean, there's all sorts of fun interactive things you can do now, uh, with technology, whether it's on the jumbotron, whether it's with people's phones and those type of things. And again, just engaging those fans, keeping them, uh, ish interested, uh, all of the things that, that are going on in that club level and other you know levels, uh, maybe it's pricing with the concessionaires for concessions for a while to make it a little bit more affordable. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of things they can do. I mean, it's, I haven't been there in a while, but it wasn't that bad of a stadium. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I've seen worse, um, certainly RFK, um, was way worse <laughs> as far as, you know, falling apart and things like that. Um, but you know, it's, it's paying attention to all of those little details, the, the, the number of bathrooms for both the men and the women and the entrance and exits to those, et cetera. Uh, so many things that you can do, uh, that can, that can enhance the game experience. And then if you just start winning a little bit, things change, right? Um, so that's, I do think there's a lot that they can do, um, but it's going to cost some money. There's going to be some investment, but to your point, uh, they may not get a new stadium for a while. So you got to, you got to make the best of with what you have. Yeah. I mean, I think lots of teams have played in dumpy stadiums, but there's either some charm to it or they win. And this place has neither has had neither basically the whole time I was there for opening game of uh, at the stadium and um, as a fan Mm -hmm. and you know it's new but i mean immediately i was like yeah <laughs> See, yeah kind of generic it, it wasn't a lot to it and we all know the story that Dak ken cook had it kind of rushed up to so he could see it before you know if he was getting close to passing which happened soon after so again mm -hmm. but you know there, there's only so much they can do on that front but that is the kind of the the, the broad issue um and also, like, yeah, I mean, when you see the Jerry Jones' stadium or the new Rams stadium, you're like, oh, my, this is like a whole other century. Right. <laughs> you know, you, right. it's like driving a, you, the, this is like driving a Buick, my grandmother's Buick versus some, you know, fancy new Tesla or something. Right. Which is why if you don't have the newest fancy stadium, then you got to work a little, a little bit harder to at least make sure the experience and the, the affordability is there. Um and and at least have people leaving with with a positive experience. Do uh, you have time for one more question? Sure. Mm -hmm. I saved the best for last. Everybody wants them to change the name again. Okay. Um, I did a whole exercise two years ago where we kind of did a mock version of the of a name change. We went through with the uh, with the marketing people. We had a a a, 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 a 
what do you call it? A, a you know, people to come in and uh, you know answer questions. A, not a test market. Uh, mm-hmm. What am I think? Uh, 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 focus group. Focus group. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. I, yep. I I need to focus on that answer. Focus <laughs> group, and with the whole thing, we pick. Okay. Then they get to the commanders, a pretty generic choice. Nobody's thrilled with it. And then the fact that it's attached to Dan Snyder, I think has a lot of people uh, upset about that. I don't think that's the number one priority, but regardless of that, what do you say to the people who just, you got to change this name? Do you agree with that? Or is this a, let it sink in? And it's not like there's a perfect name out there regardless. So what do you, what, what's your view on the name and any other kind of branding aspect? Well, so first of all, it, um, you made a statement. You said everybody wants to change the name. And one thing as marketers we learn, we've got to be careful about what you know, focus group of one or focus group of five or focus group of 10. So uh, the first thing I think what I would do is I'd come in and say, look, everything's on the table, but we're, we don't want to make a rash decision. We obviously have some we have a lot of priorities and we want to make sure that we get a winning team on the field. We want to make sure we improve the experience with the fans. We want to make sure that you guys recognize that we, you know, we're a really important part of this community. In the meantime, we're going to do a little research and I would go out and I would do marketing research and I would, I would find out if it's true that everybody wants a name change or if it's just, you know, uh, a very minority of people that are saying that. Um, And um, and 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 then find out, you know, well, why do you want the name change? Is it because it's attached to the former owner or is it because they've never won with that name, you know, and and get into that. And listen, if the if the marketing research comes back that the name should change, I mean, people are absolutely adamant that they want something new and different and they hate that name. Uh, then you're going to have to consider doing that. And then you got to work with the league on the timing and the costs and everything on that. Um but if it's if it's 50 50 or or you know people more people are okay with the name then it's probably just a matter of hey let's focus on winning once we start winning people will actually really embrace this name and also again thinking about what can we do with this name there was there was a reason like i didn't hate it when it first came out because we are very tightly connected in this uh this community with with the military um the pentagon and and there's a lot of military people um, so, you know, maybe there are some more creative, interesting things they could do with the current name that would, would make people a little bit more interested in that name. But yeah, you have to, you have to figure out what you have because it is an investment and you have to decide, you know, I know they've, they've just spent 6 billion, but we know that they've put 16 or 17 owners together. So it's not like they necessarily have an end, endless amount of money to be putting back into the team. Would you rather them spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars changing the name again? Or would you rather them spending millions and millions of dollars on this, the increase in the fan engagement and, you know, uh, getting the best players on the field? So, um, but yeah, again, if, if truly everybody hates the name and wants to change it, then you got to figure that out for sure. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, there's other priorities. And like I said, if they, if they rip off, you know, 11 win seasons, a couple years in a row, People will 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 get over the name, and the stadium will all of a sudden feel better, assuming that they there's no sewage and things like yeah. that. Um, I imagine the polling will suggest people want to change the name, but yes, I agree, it's it's not priority. And I do think it's a whole other d- topic. But like, how much money we, will do these new owners will they have to invest in all these different topics, whatever it is? They're all billionaires, but you know yeah. it's been a bit of a journey here to get to the finish line. Um, hey, George, I really appreciate the time and the insight. Uh, George Perry, of course, George Mason University's School of Business and a former VP of Strategic Marketing for this team that we talk about all the time. 
Uh, I really appreciate the time and the insight. Have a great weekend. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll see you out there, whatever the new stadium team name, whatever is going to happen at some point. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to re-engage as a fan because I, I, I did drift away after working there for a while. <laughs> I bet. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, th- <laughs> thanks. Appreciate it.